joining our series as part of this episode is prominent company director and advisor Tony Harleth AO. Tony, you've had an extensive five decade plus career in, in corporate Australia. I look forward to unpacking some of your knowledge, but I thought we'd begin with your background. As I understand it, you grew up in Bathurst. Tell us a little bit about your, your background in Bathurst and, and your decision to leave school in year 10 to pursue uh, other ventures. Um, yeah, look, I, I grew up in Bathurst. Um, I, I suppose a short potted version was I was more interested in sport than than study, um, and had a you know a pretty good sporting career until sort of my early teens where I had an accident and lost an eye. Um, so you don't really reflect on those sorts of things until much la much later in life. But I think I think that sent me off in a couple of different directions. Um, firstly, I needed to find something to do other than, other than sports. So I learned to play guitar and played in a band. So uh, I have a, a, a bit of a musical background as well and music's come with me all, all my life. Um, I suppose I was a bit lost up after that. And uh, I can remember in year 10, the end of year 10, my dad came home and said that he'd been playing bowls um, with the local bank manager and obviously he'd won the game. So could I report down to the bank next next week? Um, which I did. Um, that was the old rural bank of New South Wales, and I spent about 24 years in that organisation, which changed its name on the way through to State Bank of New South Wales. Um, I spent th three years in Bathurst branch, but then, like a lot of young country kids, felt a need to to go to the big smoke. Um, so with a few mates, we went down to Sydney, and I, I stayed with the bank. Um, worked at King's Cross Branch, great grey eye opener, um, and then um, was sent down to a branch in the city, um, which was a more commercial branch, and just met some fantastic people who, for reasons that I don't quite understand, um, just saw something in me and decided to mentor me. I went back to study, um, did accounting. Um, and then ended up in uh, what was called, the, well, basically became the, the biz, business bank and corporate bank, um, and then international bank. And I suppose in those years in, through to my mid-30s, I just had a rush of experiences from, from the bank. Um, obviously, through corporate life, it was a whole different uh, opportunity shown, shown to me, although I was, I was on the debt side of the balance sheet rather than the equity side of the balance sheet. But they invested in me, sent me to the US for more education, um, spent some time in a London branch, spent some time in New York branch, was seconded uh, to a joint venture which the bank had with a German-based uh, bank, it was a consortium bank, and spent some time in Hamburg with, with them. And then when I got back to back to uh, Sydney, uh, we were having a bit of a fight with a building society called um, called State Building Society and we were looking to merge it into the State Bank. Um, uh, I was given the job of um, removing the managing director and becoming managing director myself. So it was a, a real leadership role as, as well, which um, I suppose really set me up um, from a career point of view uh, to do the things I've done. Um, on the on the family side, I met a wonderful woman, married, had had two kids, and she was enormously supportive in um, well having a husband that was sort of coming and going all, all the time. So we had, we we still do have a wonderful relationship.
So from Bathurst to Sydney, then to London, New York, and, and a period in, in Hamburg, I think that would have been around about the 80s, yeah. if my maths is correct. Early 80s. Tell us about some of those experiences working in, in finance and banking during the, the roaring 80s. Ah, well, I can. I suppose the one that I remember um, quite strongly is we did a deal with Alan Bond while I was in, in London. Um, and it was, a, it was a lot of fun in a way uh, in that we sort of worked at 24 hours because we had a team back in Perth and a team in, in London. It was uh, working with them when Bond Corp was looking to acquire um, Arnott's Biscuits. So we also worked with the Nabisco, I worked with the Nabisco team in, uh, in, in New York. Uh, and Nabisco uh, went on to be quite famous. I think the book um, was uh, oh, Barbarians at the Gate was written off, uh, off the Nabisco. So I actually got a chance to work with the Nabisco guys quite, quite closely. And there were some very funny times during, during that. Um, the other time, I suppose, was the first time I ever had to sack someone uh, was, in, was in New York. Um, and uh, Nick Whitlam was the managing director at the time. He'd organised to have people uh, go to the Sydney Dance Company who were uh, in New York at the time. And there was a whole lot of uh, invitations supposed to be sent out. The, the fellow in the bank, the young fellow was supposed to um, actually go down to the post office and post all these all, all these invitations. Unfortunately, he got tied up with his girlfriend who worked in another place down the road and left all the invitations on her desk. Uh, and uh, he was absolutely confident that uh, that she would post them for him, but uh, uh, it didn't happen as quickly as what what we thought. And uh, I thought it best that he find another. Uh, working experience uh, rather than with us. From there, I want to ask you about the opportunity that arose in 1991 to move to Western Australia and, and join a bank known as Challenge Bank Limited, initially I think in a Chief General Manager role and then uh, some months later you were appointed Chief Executive Officer of the bank. What was the, the genesis of the move to Perth and how did you go about sort of rebuilding and repositioning the bank during the early 90s? Um, well, the move, <laughs> I'm a great believer in serendipity, um, and I'm also a great believer in Yogi Berra's comment, if you come to a fork in the road, take it. Um, and for me, it was very much fork in the road with State Bank of New South Wales. I'd grown up in the bank with John O'Neill. Um, he'd been appointed managing director. He and I were the same age. Um, I wasn't going to go much, much further. Um, so it was just a serendipitous uh, call um, from another fellow who I'd met in, in the bank who did some advisory work with us, um, would I be interested in, in this role? Um, went over and had a look and uh, thought, why not? You know, the, the bank was in, in a bit of trouble. All the banks were in a bit of trouble after the, after the, after the 80s. Um, so it was, a real, it was a real opportunity. I felt that I'd, I'd had enough experience to have a go. And, and because it was a building society that converted to a bank, sort of my experience of being both in uh, savings banks, retail banks, um, building societies um, on the corporate side gave me, you know, sort of a bit of the skill base to do it. Interestingly enough, I'd never worked in a public company. I'd always worked in a, in a state government bank. So the biggest eye-opener for me was um, 
that it was a public company. And again, fortunately, I had some terrific people, uh, including um, the guy who became chairman of the bank, Neil Hamilton, to help guide me through and educate me through that. Uh, uh, not just running a bank, I, I thought I knew fairly well, but running a public company was a whole, a whole different, different exercise. So in uh, 91, um, we, we went over there and uh, we were going there for three to five years. Um, and here, what, what is now uh, 30, 30, nearly 33, 35 years later, uh, we're still there and loving it. I want to ask you about the, the banking landscape in the 90s. How did you see the evolution of banks in terms of the industry consolidation and in terms of the eventual sort of dominance of, of the big four that we've seen over the last 10 or 20 years? Well, um, we became a challenge quite active because we had a we had an, a challenge in uh, in Perth in that we had two two local banks, the Rural and Industries Bank, which became Bank West, and and ourselves. Um, we were publicly listed; they weren't they weren't going to stay in government ownership. Um, so we tried pretty hard to um, affect the merger, and that. That also brought us in contact with some of the other regional banks as to what that might mean if we could do that in Western Australia and put it together. Were there opportunities for, for those regional banks in the other states to do something? And maybe if we, if we all were able to do something and build ourselves around the country, we could all come together and be another force um, equivalent to the, to the, to the big four. Um, that that played out over a year or so, and it became pretty obvious to us that that uh, Bank West was never going to deal with us. Uh, we had a change of government, which sort of also uh, made life a lot more difficult to be able to do that. Uh, but it's through all of this, um, we'd pretty much put Challenge Bank in play, um, and it was Westpac that came out, made an absolutely compelling offer. Um, and acquired the bank in um, 19, what was it, 1995, 96, yeah. So I stayed on with Westpac, did, did the merger. Um, thought a couple of times about coming back over east, but we'd just fallen in love with Western Australia. So Westpac comes along and, and acquires Challenge Bank Limited in 1995. Then I read that you were involved in the uh, private equity takeover of Alinta Energy. Tell us about that. Okay. Um, well, probably the private equity was a later issue. I joined the board of Alinta um, when it was still in government ownership. Um, the government had split, split Western Power into two businesses, a, coal, oh, a, um, a gas business and a and an electricity business, um, and Alinta was the gas business, and it was decided that they would privatise that business. Um, and again, serendipitous moment. Um, I hadn't specifically headed off in any one of these directions. Um, I did know that um, chief executive jobs in finance industry in Western Australia were pretty rare. Um, so I needed to open my mind about what the next lot of opportunities were. And I was walking down the road after lunch with the fellow who was then the managing director of um, Alinta, and he was telling me about how it was going to be privatised and they needed to restructure their board and they needed somebody on the board with, with a bit of uh, public company experience and things like that are going to change around. Did I know anyone? And I used to get a lot of these questions. Um, anyway, I went back to my office and I thought about it for a minute 
and I rang him up and I said, yeah, I know someone. And he said, oh, who? He said, me. And he said, well, I, I didn't think you'd, you'd be available. I said, yeah, no, love to do it. So I landed on, on the Alinta board. Um, then prior to the, to the privatisation and the float, became the chairman and took the company through the float. So that was my first round with, with Alinta. We then, um, uh, we had a cornerstone shareholder out of, out of the US, a company called Utilico. Um, they, they paid a premium of about, Forty oh, percent to get their cornerstone shareholding. They were a company with deep energy knowledge. We needed to change the management around and really set a strategy. Um, so the easiest thing for us to do was to go over and talk to them and say, "Well, you did your numbers. Um, you 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 got it that you could pay this amount for it. Our first task is at least to take the share price to that to that level. Tell us all all you know, um, and we'll implement it. Um, and we also uh, got a, a, a fellow out of Utility Corp called Bob Browning who became, who became our managing director. And, and for me, through to, I suppose, about um, 2006, uh, I um, had a great time being chairman of, of Alenta and the business grew quite rapidly. Then um, Bob had told me that he wanted to go back to the US, so I felt well, I've been on the board about, you know, coming on eight, ten years, probably long enough. Um, what I should do is maybe me step off, get a new chairman, then when Bob goes, the new chairman and the board can appoint the new managing director. Seemed like a good plan at the time. Um, so I, I leave, and then about a year later, I hear that, uh, that there's going to be a management buyout of, of Alinta. So anyway, I had some... Uh, strong discussions with with a few few people. Anyway, it, in 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 a way, it it was it was okay for shareholders. Shareholders got a really good price for it. If you rolled your stock into the Babcock and Brown offer, then that didn't turn out so well uh, in in the end. Um, but you know that I always say, you know, if you sell your house, you can't complain that somebody's painted it a different colour. So I'd left. I was gone. Doing, doing other things. And it was in, uh, th so uh, the older Linter got split up by Babcocks into various funds, um, but the end, the end result for Alinta was that it fell on really hard times, uh, was caught up by the banks, and then I got a phone call out of the blue from, um, from TPG, uh, the TPG guys saying they, we're going to do a, a turnaround on Alinta, group of banks, group of private equity funds, wanted some independence on the board and approached myself, uh, Mark Johnson, who was the former chair of AGL, and Wayne Osborne, who was the former um, CEO of Alcoa, um, to come and join the board as independents. And again, that's now probably about 14 years ago when Mark retired, I, I came back as chairman. So this is my second run the chairman of, uh, of Alinta. Throughout the early to mid part of the 2000s, alongside your, your role at Alinta, you also held a number of other roles that I want to explore. You served as non-executive director and deputy chair of the Bank of Queensland, as well as non-executive director and chair of St John of God Healthcare. Take us inside both of those roles, if you could, and perhaps some of the, the experiences that you had. Yeah, well, um, as I was winding down from uh, from Westpac, and I'd, I'd, once we'd put Challenge Bank and Westpac 
together. It was then operating under the Westpac uh, group management structure. Uh, and my role was getting less, less and less uh, in, in the sense that I still looked after the Western Australian business, but um, there were direct reports back into the various parts of, of Westpac, and that was the way that David Morgan wanted to run it. So there was a point of time when I said to David, look, I can't sleep straight in bed and take, take your money. Um, let's set up a pathway where I can, um, uh, maybe at the end of the day, tra transition off, but certainly um, just get paid for what I'm, what I'm doing over there. And that, um, that, that lasted for a couple of years. And during that time, I, I did. I got very busy with, with other non-executive roles. I was being approached at that stage by the chairman of, of, of a company called Home Building Society to, uh, to join the board of that. Uh, and then so once I, once I finally stepped down with Westpac, I went on the uh, Home Building Society board and became chairman of Home Building Society. And it was a listed financial institution out of Perth as well. Um, we looked at doing some uh, M&A through there. We acquired a, um, another credit union called State West Credit, uh, which was Energy Credit. Um, and then um, we were looking at doing a couple, a couple of others. And uh, Bank of Queensland, who was then being run by David Liddy, who I knew from, knew from my Westpac days, while I was running Western Australia, he was running New South Wales. Uh, he, he again made a compelling offer for for a home home building society um, and uh, was keen for me to join the board of home uh, uh, sorry uh, of Bank of Queensland and then was keen for me to join the board of Bank of Queensland and I felt I had a bit of an obligation to the people and in home building society to make sure that all that transition went well so went on the Bank of Queensland board and, and became deputy chairman there. And I was sort of my plan was hopefully that Bank of Queensland could also get involved in, in some M&A and, and really be able to grow the business. But the GFC hit and then um, going back and forwards from Perth to Brisbane wasn't an attractive pro proposition with not much uh, going to happen. So I stepped off the bank. I stepped off the Bank of Queensland board then, and I suppose the the beauty of that exercise was while I was home building society, I uh, met a guy called Craig Coleman, uh, who was working with ANZ at the time, was a Perth boy, and was keen to come back to Perth. So he became CEO of Home Building Society, um, and again um, worked with us through the, the whole M and A with Home Home Building Society. Then um, when that all finished, uh, Craig and I still stayed doing things together and really that's how Viburnum started to get created. So Craig and I still work together today through Viburnum. Since I'd come to Perth, um, uh, I, I was raised, I went to a Catholic school. My, my parents were, were, were Catholic. Um, I was very much brought up in the Catholic tradition. Uh, and when I came to Perth, I uh, put the kids in the, our kids into a Catholic school, uh, and through that, got a little bit involved with the with the church in in Perth. Um, I was asked to go and sit on the Archbishop's Finance Committee, which I did, and then um, the, uh, 
religious bodies are a bit like universities. Once they get their claws into you, it's very hard to, hard to get off. Um, so I was then approached to join the St John of God Healthcare Board, uh, which, which, I, which I did. And I, I just focused my uh, Catholic activities through to that uh, and be then became chairman um, and stayed on that board for about 15 years, 13 years of it. I was, I was chairman of St John's. Uh, and it's just a fabulous organisation. Um, you know, I, I also was chairman of Catholic Health Australia during that period and trying to get all the leaders of the major Catholic health uh, organisations to be able to talk together. Um, and that's, that's both on the, uh, on the health side and all on the aged care side as well. And, um, you know, that's another fascinating industry that um, I was able to get some exposure to, which was really good. And St John's went on to, we, we grew the business quite substantially during that period and was able to affect the transition from the leadership of the sisters through to lay leadership. And now that organisation is predominantly all lay, lay leadership with still wonderful support from the sisters who are unfortunately getting older and older. You were also on the board of West Farmers for some 12 years during 2007 up to 2019. Obviously a, a period of significant change in, in retail and, and in the business itself with its expansion. Take us through what it's like sitting on a, on a board of, of a business of that size. Yeah, well, well again, I've, I've been fortunate throughout my career to work with some wonderful companies and from some wonderful people and I think Again, that, that's the secret of life at, at, the, at the end of the day. Work, work with, surround yourself with terrific people. Um, I came on the West Farmers Board. Uh, I, I, I knew a lot of the West Farmers people, obviously, both from our, uh, in management and, and also at, at the board level. And it, it, I was uh, really, uh, I suppose, overwhelmed in a way to to be asked to join the, join the West Farmers Board. It, it's the it's closest thing you get to a peerage, I think, in Western Australia. Um, but we, I joined just at the time they were doing the Coles transaction. So that was, that was really interesting to go through and the, the stock price had been beaten up, did a, uh, did a major capital raise at a very um, discounted price. Um, but through that, the, the, the the, the way the organisation was piloted through that uh, was just absolutely fantastic and I believe quite strongly it was a great deal for, for West Farmers and West Farmers shareholders. Um, but uh, the best way I could describe West Farmers, I suppose, is, is, is it's sort of like a private equity company but, but in a publicly listed shell. It, it, they talk about it as a conglomerate, which it, which it really is. Um, the board very much operates at a very high level um, in terms of capital allocation and making sure they've got the right people to do the, to do the job and uh, it's, very finan it's very financially driven, uh, it's very long term in its, in its thinking uh, and it, it, um, it is not bound by, uh, by any industry, it'll work across all sorts of industry, you see it now, it's in Yes, it made a big move into retail with the Coles acquisition, but it already been um, done a wonderful job with Bunnings, even at that that period of time. Um, always had a chemicals business, was always strong engineering company. Um, was in mining at that stage, which happened to be uh, coal mining. Um, 
but had moved, but during my time we'd moved out of that and into into lithium and, and other spaces. And it, it is really um, a it's sort of acts a little bit more like a private equity company. Very much very much empowers its companies to to get on and on execute on their on their plans. Uh, and it, it was a fabulous uh, you know fabulous time in my career. And again, I learnt so much during that. And just Again, met so many terrific people who, have, you know, you just feel that you, having worked for a company like West Farmers, you're, you're so well supported in such a large number of ways. I want to ask you about leadership. You've been a leader of businesses, and then you've seen obviously leaders up close, particularly at West Farmers, people like Michael Cheney and Richard Goiter and Rob Scott and, and others. What are the, the fundamentals, do you think, for effective leadership? Um, it, it's a really, it's a really good question. Um, I, I suppose it just, to me, it all comes back to the basics. Like you know, if you're going to build a house, you've got to have good foundations, and the, the foundations lie in the in the people. Um, and you know, see our story. Good things happen to good good people, but uh, I, I, I think you know the the the, the basis of integrity, being able to be collegiate, work, work, work with people. Um, don't ask people to do what you're not prepared to do yourself. Um, <laughs> I have a saying, before all else fails, tell the truth, um, because all else fails. <laughs> and the older you get, the harder it is to remember what you said. Um, but, it, it, you know, it's a mixture as, as well. You, you, want, you want people to be confident. Um, you you want to hire you want to work with smart smart people, um, and I think you can you can teach smart people skills. Um, you hire always hire on attitude. Uh, you know you, you want people who really want to make want to make a difference. Um, everybody's got to have a bit of ego, but it's got to be it's got to be kept in check. Um, there's there's a lot of self interest in you know you want people. That have some level of self-interest. Um, you know, without interest, there is without self-interest, there is no interest. Um, so it's a real com combination. You know, there's a lot of academic papers written on what are the what are the characteristics of of, of good leaders. Um, but good leaders are sharers. Um, good leaders take people with them. Good leaders are happy to see other people get the get the reward and the and the benefit and and the success, um, and you you really are. Uh, your job is really to just to bring people with to bring people with you, and recognise that you don't have all you don't have all the answers. Uh, in fact, you, you might not have many many of them. But if you can surround yourself with good enough people, uh, the the answers will come. Um, and don't don't be afraid to fail. Uh, you know, it, it, someone said to me very early in my career. And he, he, he is the analogy, uh, you know, of, of, of a batting average. He said, you know, you, you um, to be a good leader, you've, uh, people put you in a job because they, they're confident that you can do the job. You should share in that conf confidence and recognise that because you, you, you know what you need to do and you know the job, the decisions, you'll make 80% of the decisions correctly. 10% of decisions um, may not be that good, but if you're on top of your job, 
you'll know those those 10%. You probably know them before other, other people will. 10% of decisions you'll get wrong. But as long as you're not punting the company on those, on those decisions, you know, you, you're careful and you're a good steward. Um, people will work with you to, to, turn those, to turn those decisions around. Um, but it's the old Yogi Berra thing. You, you, you come to a fork in the road, take it. You've got to choose a direction. You've got, you've got to choose a course of action. Otherwise, you'll be standing at the crossroads uh, forever. And there's so many people have, I've come across during my career who are smarter than me, uh, more educated than me, um, all of those sorts of things, but they're still standing at the crossroads, uh, not prepared to take, take the next step. So you've got to have people who will, will choose a course of action, will back themselves, but are aware enough that, um, that they're not always going to get it right and uh, surround yourself with people. Um, again, my CFO in Challenge Bank used to have a little picture on his wall um, which he called the, the first law of holes. If you find yourself in a hole, stop digging. There's all these people around you that are ready and willing to work with you. We spoke about Alinta Energy before and, and you're a current uh, director of the business. You sit on the board. I want to ask you about the transition to, to clean energy and, and Australia's energy infrastructure more generally. What are the key themes that you've witnessed over recent years when it comes to the energy infrastructure but also the transition to clean energy? How are you seeing play out? Oh, look, we, 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 have, to we have to transition, um, but I, 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 I think the, uh, there's a lot of rhetoric ar around the pace at which it will happen. Um, which I don't share the optimism in. I certainly share the optimism is in we, we, we will have a, a managed transition. But I think um, there's a lot of overselling it for, for lots, of, lots of reasons. Sometimes it's political reasons. Sometimes it's um, companies trying to position themselves in it. At, at Alinta, we, we try to deal with the what's, what's possible. Um, the first thing is we want to run our own business as best as we can possibly run it. It's the old foundations. You're not, you're not going to do anything else if you're not running your own business prop properly. So we want to run our business excellently and then we'll look, look for opportunities. So we've, we've done batteries, we've done uh, solar farms, we've done wind farms. Um, we look for who's the best owner as well and who are the best partners to work with. We recently sold the Pilbara assets um, and up there we, we've done some, uh, we, when we did the, the private equity turnaround, we ended up with a power station at, uh, gas-fired power station at Newman and one at, and one at Port Hedland. Um, we then went on and built some transmission lines into the, into the iron ore areas. We, uh, did, uh, uh energy supplies with uh, FMG, um, with Roy Hill, um, with, B with BHP. We put in solar farm um, battery pack up, up there. Um, we had a really good runway with more, um, with, with more opportunity to, to do um, renewables and take, there's a lot of diesel up there. So the first thing was to take the, di take the diesel out. Um, and uh, but it's all very capital intensive, so you know there there were there were billions of dollars worth of opportunities up there. But there's billions of dollars worth of opportunities for us elsewhere, and and we just felt that probably we'd set up 
the Pilbara as best that we thought we could. There was opportunities. People were prepared to pay for those opportunities, so it was time for us to exit that and invest in, in other things. So right at the moment, we're building another battery pack down in, um, in the Swiss, which is the southwest interconnect of Perth. There's big opportunities, we think, still in the Swiss. We build a wind farm up there, opportunity for another wind farm. Um, like in everywhere, we've got to find ability to have some peaking capacity. So, so that's there as well. We're looking at a pumped hydro uh, project up in northern New South Wales. We're still looking at off, offshore, offshore wind and some other wind assets. So there's no shortage of opportunity for us to do things. It's, it's um, what's, what's the best use of that capital and what's, and what's possible. You can get tied up for, for a long, long time in approvals and uh, in uh, just getting sites ready. To go. So we're working on quite a few sites to get them shovel ready. So if the opportunity comes, we're there and we're, and we're ready ready to go. Uh, again, we share the optimism. Um, we probably question, question the timing of it. I want to change tack and ask you about another role that you currently hold, and that is that you're on the board of Viburnum Funds, and you have been since 2007. As I understand, it's an investment manager of public and private equities for family offices, high net worth individuals, for institutional investors. Take us inside the, the business, if you could, and, and then how you've seen the investment landscape change since 2007. Yeah, um, Viburnum's quite a niche uh, op operation. Um, it was set up by uh, Craig Coleman, Marshall Allen, and myself in conjunction with the Wiley family. Um, and really, um, through Craig's involvement with, with the Wiley family, the Wiley family is now out of the business, um, out of the management business altogether. It still, still has some funds uh, that we, we look after. A lot of money that we look after comes out of the US, out of um, U US um, university endowment funds and private offices. We probably do more um, with private offices and universities out of the US than we do in, in Australia. And that's, uh, that's uh, uh, another interesting pattern because universities in Australia don't operate the same way as they do in their investment funds uh, in the US, which is, which is a bit, I think there's leaving a lot of opportunity on, on the table. But we run two different funds. One's a, one's a, uh, a fund around listed, listed companies, small, small to medium listed companies. It's an activist fund where we can hold a significant interest um, and work closely with board and management um, on strategy and turnaround op opportunities. And the other one is, is a classic, more classic private equity but in the mining services area, which is obviously a big space for us in West Western Australia. When I say mining, I mean uh, oil and gas as, as well, just all, all those sort, sorts of services. And we've built, again, they mainly come out of um, owner-operated firms built up over time, need capital. We come in, we, we work with them. Um, and I've had a couple of really good exits from that from that as well. So um, yeah, so it's it's quite a it's quite a niche operation. We we run funds up to about a billion about a billion dollars in in that fund. Um, small group of people, very very talented, um, and have been able to get some really good results. 
There's also BWP Trust, the business of which you've been on the board of, I think, since 2012 and chair since 2022. What are the, the key trends that you've observed across the commercial property landscape with reference to your role at BWP? Yeah, well, well BWP continues my involvement with the West Farmers Group. Um, and uh, so the structure of that is that they're listed units, but the management company is a subsidiary of wholly owned subsidiary of West Farmers. So, uh, and it, and it, about 80%, a little over 80% of the property in that fund are Bunnings warehouses. The, the balance of the property, um, most of them started life as Bunnings warehouses, but as Bunnings moved out, then um, we recreated them into homemaker centres uh, and have a really good tenant group that, that sits in that. And over time, those sorts of things will, will move. We really didn't buy a lot of property over the last few years. We just felt that the, the fund was performing very well. Um, people were in the fund for the long, long term. Um, it, it was generating good returns. Uh, there'd been really good capital growth. Um, so we didn't feel the need to go out and, and chase, down, chase down yields. Um, that's left us in a really good position now because the, the company's in a very strong position. It's got lots of cash. It's got, it's got a very lowly geared, good borrowing, borrowing potential. And we think opportunities will now start to emerge as interest rates, interest rates rise. The whole of the, the real estate investment, the REITs market has, has been sold off as, as yields have now started to starting to widen a bit more, some more than others. Obviously, office trusts have been hit harder. We, we still think that um, uh, the asset quality in, in BWP is, is first class, the revenue uh, capability of it's first class, and, and we just think there's, there's lots of opportunities that might merge, re-emerge for us over the next couple of years. What we have seen probably over the last Oh, five, ten years is a lot of uh, individual f individual money, um, and uh, people like to own Bunnings warehouses. Uh, so they, any time a Bunnings warehouse does come on the market, it's it's pretty well bid, um, and lots of quite a few of them now just sit in uh, in family companies that uh, like to own a Bunnings warehouse. I want to ask you about your, when you look back at your, your corporate career, you've sat on public company boards, you still sit on one public company board, you've sat on private company boards as well. What's your take on where this has landed? How onerous are the obligations now for public company directors? Oh, look, I do, I do worry. Um, the, you know, our, our whole basis of private enterprise was built on a limited liability company. Um, and we've slowly dismantled the limited liability company over over, over decades. Um, so what what what's what's next? Uh, I know I talk to a lot of my contemporaries in the market, and um, not a lot of putting up their hand much anymore to go on public company boards. Um, what what well, you're certainly starting to see a rise. There's, there's been wealth creation outside of public companies and you see a lot of that playing out now. Um, what's the future for the public company? It'll, it'll still be 
it'll still be around. I'm just, I, I just worry that it'll lose its entrepreneurial ship uh, in it. Uh, and uh, it's going to be very hard to attract, continue to attract really good people um, into, into that, that line, of, line of work. Um, you know, the old, the old the, 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 the company director was, um, they had a, had a decade or had a um, sort of a lifetime experience in, in, in business. Um, all their, pretty much their financial needs have been met. They weren't sitting on public company boards to necessarily to, to drive an income source for, for themselves. There was, there, was, there was a bit of greater good in it. I, I think a lot, of, a lot of that's changing and lots of people are seeing uh, non-executive roles um, as, as, as just another career very early on with a lot of flex, flexibility. I think they're misunderstanding the liability uh, that goes that goes with that, uh, and I think they're misunderstanding um, the the risk. I, I saw something come out from um, Institute of Company Directors uh, the other day, which had six points in being a good director, and actually uh, making money for shareholders wasn't even in any of those six points. It was a byline in the in, in the next. You, you you're there, you know, you're there to cre help create create wealth and, op and opportunity. Um, you're there to work, to work with, with management. Um, I see all businesses as a, as a team. It doesn't matter whether you're a director, whether you're the managing director, general manager, or, or, or someone you know, sitting on the telephone doing other things. We're all the same. We all work for the same company. Um, our objectives are largely the same. We just happen to have different jobs. Um, and y your responsibility is to do your job well because you, you, you are the sum of your experiences. Um, and I think at the top level of an organisation, that sum of your experiences, some, you know, call it wisdom, whatever, I just call it sum of your experiences, um, is the asset you bring to the table. If you really haven't had those experiences, well, I'm not quite sure um, what the asset is you bring, you bring to the table. You know, I, I have a bias in all this is a, a, a decade and people only have to look at me to see probably where my biases, biases are. Um, but I do believe that uh, having, been a, having been a CEO of a, of a, of a large business, um, you, you, get to exp you get more experiences. You, you get to be able to deal with lots and lots of people. You deal with strategy, you deal with all, all, all of the other things. And I think that's great value that, that you bring to the board. Yes, there are other values that you bring to the board, but I think with, with, without that, boards get a bit lacking. You've been based in Western Australia, as we spoke about earlier, since 1991, so coming up to 35 years next year. How have you seen the business landscape in the West evolve over that time? Oh, the West is a fantastic place. Um, as I say, we went there for three to five years and, you know, 35 years later, we, we're still there. Um, the, it's, it's, a, it, it's a place where, where you can do things. Um, there's that attitude, there's always that attitude that I can do it. I used to say that, um, you know, in, in Western Australia, you used to have to carry your own um, shoebox around to stand on to, because uh, uh, it's very hard for people to hear you have 
over in the in the, in the eastern states as, as we talk about it. Um, and uh, you know, so many times during my career where really good ideas have emerged from the West, they, they, they haven't been taken up because uh, that's not how it's done over, over in the East. Um, but I would just encourage anybody to come over and have a look. It's a really, it's a really vibrant town. It's, it's, um, it, it certainly has a bias towards uh, mining and, and oil and gas, and I, I think that's what makes it uh, a doing sort of town. Um, but it's also a very high-tech town, and if you look at some of the technology that's come out of out of the mining sector, whether it be from a geology point of view or, or you know, uh, auto automation on on the mine sites, it's actually driving lots and lots of industry in different sorts sorts of industry. So, um, no, the West is still in a in good condition. It it does it does have a bit of a boom boom bust cycle. Uh, so where things are going well for for the nation, it's going very well in Perth. When it's uh, it's a bit down, it's probably down harder in Perth. But I think we all we all get used to that and and are pretty capable of management through it. I think the government over there has done a fantastic job uh, through COVID. Um, uh, it's got some it's got some challenges now with Mark McGowan step, stepping down. Um, and like all states, um, I think everybody's feeling the pressure of changes changes in leadership at states and. You know, uh, politics is going to be very interesting over the next few years in Australia to see how that all, all comes out. But at the end of the day, um, largely Australians just get on with it. You know, I think we're a great country for just getting getting on with it. As you know, the economic contribution from Western Australia is enormous on a, on a national scale, uh, particularly through uh, mining and resources, as you said. And I somebody else that I spoke to uh, over there was uh, bemoaning the fact that all of the superannuation money, so much of the funds management industry is in the east, but the, you know, the, the basis of it actually comes from the west. What do you think West Australia needs to do long term to attract more investment, more capital, um, more funds into, into Perth and into West Australia more generally? I don't think it has any problem attracting capital. I'm, I'm from the Michael Cheney School. Of, of capital, if you run your business really well, uh, you, you, you treat your shareholders properly, you, you reward them, um, then, uh, and if you've got really good op opportunities and projects, the capital will be there for you. Um, and the beauty about the West is there will continue to be really good opportunities there to the extent that, to the extent that it, some of this is managed out of the, out of the East Coast and, and internationally, if, if you if you've got the right if you've got the right opportunities, you sell it right, you structure it correctly, you put the right people around it, the capital will be there. Final question: What's next for yourself? What what else do you want to still achieve in your in your career? Oh, that's a really that's a really good question. At, at sort of seventy two, um, look, I I've just had a fantastic. Fantastic career, and I I do believe in serendipity. Um, you know what what will come next will come next. Um, I'm really fortunate having great family, um, supportive wife. Um, we like to do lots of things together, um, and I suppose the objective is to be able to do more and more things together. Um, our runway is not getting any longer; um, it's getting shorter. But in fact, but um, I'm I'm sure we'll fill it with 
with lots and lots of... Uh, my eldest son uh, talks about adventure all the time and um, we'll continue to try and find adventurous things to do to, to fill that runway in. Tony Howarth, AO, pleasure having the opportunity to share your insights. Thanks for your time. Thanks.